It's Wednesday, May 18th. I'm Sarah Y. Kim. In Baltimore County, the NAACP and teachers advocates rally for better pay and safer schools. A resolution affirming safe access to abortion services in Baltimore easily passes the city council. HUD officials joined Baltimore City officials today, announcing a plan to tackle homelessness. A CDC advisory panel is expected to greenlight COVID booster shots for ages 5 to 11 this week. Baltimore moms use social media to navigate the baby formula shortage. And a pilot program that will give some low-income Baltimore families $1,000 a month is part of a national study. It's the Daily Dose from WIPR, our latest reporting on Maryland's COVID-19 response and the local news of the day, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. The state's COVID-19 positivity rate now stands at 7.96%. That's actually a slight dip from the rate officials reported yesterday, which was just over 8%, the highest rate we've seen since late January. The Maryland Department of Health also reported this morning just under 2,000 new cases in the past 24 hours. More than 400 people are hospitalized for the first time since February. To date, Maryland's death toll is 14,280. That death toll is part of a grim nationwide milestone the U.S. reached officially this week. One million lives lost to COVID since the beginning of the pandemic, and that death toll may be an undercount, given some deaths may have gone unrecorded or were attributed to other causes. Montgomery County has issued a new health advisory. The state's largest county is once again encouraging residents to wear face coverings while they are indoors. Businesses are still allowed to require face masks if they wish. Montgomery County has the most COVID-19 cases of any jurisdiction in Maryland. In Baltimore County, the Teachers Union and the NAACP joined forces Tuesday night to pressure the school system to both improve the salaries of educators and make schools safer. WYPR's John Lee reports the organizers of the rally outside the county school board meeting say those two issues are connected. Baltimore County is struggling to find enough educators. Rally organizers blame low pay, long hours, and unsafe schools. Marshada McLean teaches at Millbrook Elementary School. I know personally of teachers who have quit mid-year this year, literally said, I resign, and walked out the day after. That's a problem. Advocates say school buildings are less safe because there are fewer adults around. In order to attract more teachers, they want a pay raise greater than the 3% hike currently planned. In a statement, school system spokesman Charles Herndon says Superintendent Darrell Williams is committed to improving school safety and staff compensation. He adds they are issues impacting every school system in the country. John Lee, WIPR News. HUD officials joined Baltimore leaders today to announce city goals for addressing homelessness. Those include finding homes for at least 1,000 households this year. City leaders are also aiming to use ARPA money to develop at least 1,600 affordable housing units. The goals are part of House America, a national partnership with HUD and local leaders. HUD senior advisor Richard Cho says there are more than 90 local leaders involved, including Mayor Brandon Scott. That It is um, leadership like this that is going to solve homelessness and bring hope. Scott said the city's House America goals will require working with a wide range of stakeholders and community members, including those who've experienced homelessness. We have to give them a hand to the side, not a hand up. 
so that they can find stability and get their lives back on track. The mayor previously allocated $90.4 million in ARPA dollars for homeless services. Baltimore's mayor and police commissioner outlined a new SMART policing plan today. SMART stands for Strategic Management and Alternative Response Tactics. It includes a false alarm reduction program to keep more officers on city streets. The initiative takes effect in July. The Baltimore City Council unanimously approved a resolution Monday that affirms the city's commitment to safe, accessible abortion care. WYPR's Callan Hansel Suddeth has more. During an afternoon press conference introducing the bill, First District Councilmember Zeke Cohen said a key part of the resolution is backing grassroots reproductive care organizations. We will contribute to community-based organizations. We will help them expand their capacity to provide access to abortion and other services. The resolution also calls on Governor Larry Hogan to immediately release $3.5 million set aside for training new abortion care providers, a program created by a bill that was passed this past legislative session. District 10 Councilmember Felicia Porter said Baltimore City needs those funds. That's a real issue that we are seeing here. We are still challenged with health care access and health care navigation and health care delivery. Cohen and Porter said Mayor Brandon Scott has voiced his support for the move. For WYPR News, I'm Callan Tansel Suddeth. Efforts by the Maryland Department of the Environment are paying off at the Back River Wastewater Treatment Plant. Officials say a new progress report indicates that work at the plant to improve operations is reaping benefits, and a water quality advisory previously announced has been lifted. The plant, which is owned by Baltimore City, serves more than one million residents across the city and Baltimore County. Dr. Anthony Fauci, President Biden's chief medical advisor, will deliver the commencement address to the largest class of nurses, doctors, and pharmacists at the University of Maryland, Baltimore. They are set to graduate on Thursday. Congratulations to the class of 2022. The FDA has authorized Pfizer COVID-19 boosters for 5 to 11-year-olds. The CDC must give the green light before they become available. Its advisors are set to meet later this week. If approved, boosters would be available to 5 to 11-year-olds who got fully vaccinated at least five months ago. Dr. Aaron Millstone is a professor of pediatric infectious disease at Johns Hopkins. He says the boosters have increased antibody levels for adults and will do the same for kids. There's absolutely no reason not to take your kid out and get them boosted. Demand might not initially be very high for these boosters. 28% of 5 to 11-year-olds are fully vaccinated, according to the CDC, though vaccines have been available since November. Dr. Millstone says it's true. Children are less likely to get severe illness or die from COVID. We do know, though, that it does happen rarely. And we do know that kids can suffer from long COVID and they can have symptoms that can persist for quite some time. Um, and with any new infection, there's always the what if. If I get COVID now, what does that mean for me five years from now, 10 years from now? And vaccines and boosters, he says, reduce the likelihood of long-term consequences, severe illness and death. And even although the risk of dying is low, I, I can feel reassured that my kid won't die from COVID. To me, that's important as a parent. 
Dr. Aaron Millstone is a professor of pediatric infectious disease at Johns Hopkins. As a nationwide formula shortage continues to wreak havoc on families with children, some in the Baltimore area are turning to one another for help navigating the crisis. But as WYPR's Callan Tanzel Suddeth explains, barriers to accessing formula existed long before supply dried up earlier this month. A Facebook group called Help Each Other Baltimore Formula Crisis racked up more than 250 members in less than a week. Members share what formula they have at home that they can donate to each other and what stock they've seen at area stores. Groups like these have been vital not only for parents, but for practitioners as well. I know our advocates were actually scouring social media because they heard that people were posting pictures of grocery stores where there was formula on hand and trying to get that information out. That was Kristen Topol, the program manager for Johns Hopkins Hospital's Community Connection Program. She says that the formula shortage has disrupted their suppliers, too. Staff at their clinics, she says, are bombarded with calls from families looking for formula every day, but they don't have any to give. We used to be able to order. I was doing the math. It was like 250 cans a month we would have on hand. Uh, We can't even order through our suppliers anymore. LaToya Mobley is a social worker at the Harriet Lane Clinic, which provides care to roughly 8,500 babies, kids, teens, and young adults. She says there has been a huge uptick in requests for formula over the last few weeks, but it's far from a new issue for families that were already hit hard by the pandemic. The pandemic definitely became a lack of access point for many families because WIC shut down rather quickly, you know, because all of, you know, the state programs were really kind of shutting down in-person services. WIC stands for Women, Infants, and Children. The government-funded supplemental grant program helps infants and young children with nutritional needs. Mobley explains enrolling in WIC can take a few weeks under ideal circumstances. When appointments were restricted in 2020 during COVID-19, wait times got longer. Then mail delays made things even worse. WIC cards weren't arriving as fast as the babies, and people couldn't buy formula without the cards. Mobley and others at the Harriet Lane Clinic began seeing what happens to babies when their families can't access formula. And babies were coming in losing weight, you know, like leaving the hospital on a growth curve and coming in 8, 9, and 10% down um, from their birth weight, which is not the way that they should be going. Babies should be gaining weight. She says when the Abbott Formula Factory was shuttered in February, things reached a tipping point. While some people can spend time driving around looking for formula, that's not an option for many families, Topol says. Buying formula in bulk isn't possible either. It's a balancing act that our patients are constantly deciding between how much are they going to eat um, themselves and make sure that they can afford the formula for their child. They're always sort of deciding which uh, basic necessity needs to be sacrificed. Amina Weisskerger is the executive director of ShareBaby Incorporated, a nonprofit organization that collects and distributes essentials for Baltimore-area infants and children. Weisskerger says that geographic and economic limitations are the biggest factors when it comes to inaccessibility. It's really those families 
that don't have the financial resources, that don't have access to the larger stores, don't have access to transportation. They can't get in the car and go to four or five different places. The President Joe Biden's administration has taken steps in the past few days to resolve the issue. A concrete fix still seems far off. In the interim, Topol said families are helping each other as much as they can. For WYPR News, I'm Callan Tansel Suddeth. Last month, I reported on an initiative announced by Mayor Brandon Scott to help low-income families better make ends meet. The Guaranteed Income Pilot Program will provide 200 young parents $1,000 a month over two years. This program will address income inequality by providing a buffer to help lower-income families get back on their feet and allow them to focus on their financial well-being. These funds will help our young families do things like pay for daily necessities like food and clothing, help them meet rent and avoid eviction, secure transportation so they can obtain and keep employment, get their children to and from school, and spend more time with their children. Robin McKinney is CEO of the Cash Campaign of Maryland. She told On the Record's Sheila Cass today that low-income families with children are still reeling from the pandemic. The families that we have been working with typically earn less than $20,000. We go up to $58,000, but more than half of the people we work with earn less than $20,000. And for those folks, even a small bump, right, creates a major issue. You know, one um, reduction of hours, one expense that comes in higher, you know, one BGE bill that's a little bit higher causes major issue. So during the pandemic, what we saw is that people just had complete volatility on their income side and on their expense side, with many places having, you know, their employer closed or their hours were reduced or they're trying to work a lot of different gigs to try to make ends meet. So it's been really devastating for the folks that we work with. McKinney explained how the pilot program will be funded. The Baltimore Young Family Success Fund is a new initiative that is part of the Mayors for a Guaranteed Income Project. So this is part of a national initiative. And we're pulling together funds from several places. There are some of the federal American rescue dollars that the city has appropriated. The mayor's office has appropriated some funds as well as um, some of the major foundations that are in town. The application process for the pilot program is now closed. McKinney says they are now combing through the data to select the 200 families who will receive the funds. They will be receiving them either in a bank account or in a prepaid card, which is their choice. We're working with a financial disbursement partner that's called Steady, which is a national um, financial technology company, to make sure that they get their payments every single month. So these 200 families will get $1,000 a month for 24 months. McKinney says while the pilot program does not stipulate how the chosen families must use the money, how they use it and the impact will be studied. There were eligibility criteria for these families, so they needed to be 18 to 24, uh, be parenting a child, earn less than 300 percent of the federal poverty level and be a Baltimore City resident. 
And what we're doing through this, this is a pilot project. It's a research study. So there is a qualitative and a quantitative study that is going on at the same time, as well as a storytelling cohort. So what we're really trying to understand here is what is the baseline that people have? What are the needs that they're bringing to the table? And how does consistent and sufficient income change the outcomes for their, their household stability, for their child's health outcomes, for parent engagement? So we have lots of different um, indicators that we're looking at to see what the impact of these funds will be. That was Robin McKinney, CEO of the Cash Campaign of Maryland. You can hear her entire on-the-record interview at WIPR.org. The Daily Dose is brought to you by WIPR, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. Big thanks to my news team colleagues, Rachel Bay, John Lee, Joel McCord, and Callan Tanzel Suddeth. Our digital content director is Jamila Kremple, and our general manager is LaFontaine Oliver. The executive editor of The Daily Dose is Danielle Irby. Stay healthy, stay sane, and stand together. I'm Sarah Y. Kim. Thanks for listening.